Okay. Um, good evening. Obviously a little bit different of a feel. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas celebrating with family um, or maybe not um, extended family. I know um, people are dealing with uh, COVID and sickness and whatnot, so there's all kinds of things going on. Let me pray and we will begin our time together. Father in heaven, we gather here tonight, Lord, and we are um, we're hopeful in your sovereignty, we're hopeful, Lord God, in your work, and we pray that you will um, be glorified in our midst tonight, we pray that you would be glorified in all of our dealings, and all of our decisions. Lord, we recognize that you have been with us. We recognize that you have been faithful and that you have never left us and you've never forsaken us. We know, Lord God, that sometimes your ways are mysterious and we acknowledge that tonight. We pray that, Lord God, you will help us to trust you and learn, Lord God, to put our faith in you above all else. Um, may we not lean on our own understanding. And you say that to us just because, Lord God, that's our propensity to do that. It's our propensity to lean on our own understanding. It's our propensity to be wise in our own eyes. We pray, Father, that you would give us your understanding and that you would straighten out our paths. And that is a great hope. You will straighten our, our paths. You will make them straight. You will practically direct our steps in our lives. And we will see in time, Lord God, how your ways are higher and better than our ways. So we pray that you would be with us tonight. Comfort us in our sadness. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us hope in our hopefulness. We pray, Lord God, that you would secure us in your love and walk with us, we pray. We recognize that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's born as a baby to enter into this life with us. We recognize that he's given the name Emmanuel, God with us. And you are with us, and you always have been, and you always will be. And we thank you for that. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, be with those who are sick, those who are dealing with COVID, those who are dealing with other illnesses. We pray for a speedy recovery on them. We pray, Lord God, that you would watch over them and protect them from all harm. Lord, as people interact with family, we do pray that you would help um, just help families, especially in a controversial landscape that we find ourselves in. Lord, I pray that there would be good family interactions over the holidays. We pray, Lord God, that people would be filled with grace. And those who are Christians, those who are in Christ, Lord, may their speech be seasoned with salt. Pray that you would keep us from argument argumentativeness, Lord and that you would cause us to be gracious and humble and gentle, gently responding to those that we disagree with. So, Father, please be with us. Please be with your church. Please be with families who have encountered controversy, who have encountered division because of where we stand on certain issues. Lord, we pray against all division, and we pray against the schemes of the devil to divide, we pray against his schemes and the fiery darts that he throws at us to get us to doubt. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, and cause us to stand against his schemes and stand firm in the hope that we have in Christ. So be with us tonight. Be with us as we sing songs of praise to you. Be with us, Lord God, as we worship your holy name because you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of our worship. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Okay, that was a long prayer. I hope I didn't put anyone to sleep. <laughs> um, but I hope uh, hope you guys all had a good Christmas. Merry Christmas to you guys. Um, I mean, our announcements are very small. No sermons for saplings today. I'm not sure we had a whole lot of participants in that anyway. And then our annual, or it says annual meeting on there. I didn't change that. We're I think we're going to call that a quarterly meeting. That's going to be Wednesday, December 29th. Um, we plan to do that here. Um, we'll talk about some important matters and hopefully give some clarity about where we're going. Um, I've made a contact with, um, his name is Mark Bierlo, and uh, sounds to be very helpful. He's with Converge, and we're going to be meeting with him, Lord willing, on Tuesday night, and he will hopefully give us some really important and, and um, helpful advice as to how we move forward. So I'm looking forward to just hearing from him and um, the advice that he will give to us. So those are the two kind of announcements that we have. And uh, do we have the fighter verse queued up? We'll do the fighter verse. That's Psalm 23, 3 and 4. Let's rise before we begin to worship. And let's quote this verse together. Psalm 23, verses 3 and 4. Speaking of God, the good shepherd, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23, 3 and 4. Okay, let me pray. Lord God, thank you that you are a shepherd to your people. You are the one who makes us lie down in green pastures. You're the one who leads us beside still waters. You are the one who restores our soul and leads us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And even though we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us and we will fear no evil. Lord God, thank you that you are a great and gracious God, a great and gracious King, and we have the confidence of knowing that whether we are beside still waters or whether we are in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us and you are accomplishing all of your good purposes in us and through us. So thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.
approach the throne of glory. Nothing in my hands I bring but the promise of acceptance from a good and gracious
His feet, the six winged seraph, cherubim with sleepless eye, veil their faces to. Okay, we um, obviously have a, a really simplified service here tonight, but um, I invite you to open up to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2.
Luke chapter 2. We'll read the verse seven, first seven verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see this passage and understand what you communicate through it. And I pray that you would help me to apply it to our souls, to apply it to our situation, to apply it to us. Lord, your word speaks even today. We know that your word is breathed out. It is the inspired word of God. So please breathe life into your people today as we hear this word preach to our souls. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I didn't go ahead and write out a sermon manuscript. I kind of wanted to treat this similar to the way I treated a couple of nights ago, looking at the text and just kind of walking through some observations with you all. And I've always loved the Christmas story. I've always loved these passages that speak on Christ, and maybe all the years that I wasn't preaching at Christmas, I've always wanted to maybe preach at Christmas, and I thought, this is always an interesting passage that doesn't seem to say a whole lot, but really, it says a lot. (laughs) Yesterday in our family devotions, uh, you know, being a pastor and the pastor family that we are, before we open our gifts, we, of course, read the Bible you know, what, what, what would you expect from, from people like us? No, it's really not something that's customary in our house. We typically don't stop to read the Bible before we tear into presents. Um, maybe my kids are just at an age where they can kind of sort of curb their, their desires and uh, their need to tear into gifts. And they weren't, you know, when they were younger. But we discussed this together and we read the passage, and they kind of just say, oh, yeah, okay, I've kind of heard that, been there, done that. But as we discuss it, you know, as we look at it, there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot of interesting stuff to kind of glean. And really, I'd say it's a tale of two kings. When you really think about it, it's a tale of two kings. If you look at verse 1, what do we see? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. And then if you look at verse 7, it says, she gave birth, of course, talking about Mary. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So here we have this king, Caesar Augustus, And really, we know the end from the beginning. We know that verse 7 is talking about a baby who would become a king. And Jesus is a king as well. But notice how the writer, you know, really artistically kind of mashes this whole thing up against each other. You see that the beginning of this little section, here's the announcements from this mighty king. And then at the end, you have, oh, by the way, Here's this other king. And you wouldn't expect much from this other king. But the reality is, this is the king that we should really have our eyes on. Although at the time, all the clout belonged to the king of verse 1, didn't it? And we were discussing, my kids, they were talking, and we were just making observations. Well, what can we say about this this king in verse 1, Caesar Augustus? Well, he wanted a lot. He wanted power. And I, I kind of corrected them and said, well, <laughs> he didn't want power. 
Well, uh, he, you know, what does verse 1 actually say he does? He issues a decree, right? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. If he is able to issue a decree that would extend to all the world, that they should be registered, we're talking about a guy who actually has power, not striving for it, a guy who's flexing his muscles, a guy who actually has the world at his fingertips. Isn't that interesting? He had the ability to, A, issue a decree. He had the ability for his voice to go out to the ends of the earth. And then he had the ability to enforce that people would actually uproot their lives, stop what they were doing, and follow it. They had to do that. And we're talking about a guy who has some major power. Now, think about that. Think about how that's juxtaposed, how it's contrasted with the other king. What do we see with the other king? Well, he has peasant parents. And they arrive into the town of Bethlehem, some lowly city, some lowly town. And there's no room for them in the inn. There's no place. Everywhere they go, there's no vacancy signs. And, in fact, when he does get birthed, where do they lie him into? doesn't have a crib. There's no crib for his bed. Or is it head? I can't remember. How does the song go? No crib for his bed. Is that right? Um, you guys all seem to be as stumped as I am because you're looking at me blankly. <laughs> okay, I got it right. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. <laughs> um, there's no crib. He has a manger. Now, if you're not familiar with what a manger is, it's a trough. It's a feeding trough. Think about that. Animals eating out of a trough, that seems unsanitary. Right? Uh, that wouldn't pass the FDA approvals or whatever else kind of approvals of today. I'm sure, um, you know, and, and not just unsanitary, but that's, that's pretty lowly. That's uh, actually, in, in some ways, you could say that's insulting. You know, this is, this is the other king c in comparison to this great king that we read about in verse 1. And, you know, when you think about Caesar Augustus, he's the, the ruler of Rome. And Mary and Joseph, they are Jews. They're from the lineage of David. That's significant. And when they, or they issue this order, they have to go back to their hometown to be counted. Now, what was this whole census about anyway? Well, if you think about it, the Romans wanted to rule the world. They wanted to dominate. They wanted to extend their rule as far and as wide as they possibly could. And this was basically a taxation. Everyone come back, everyone who's under the rule of Rome. You see these, Jew these Jewish people. And you have to understand, there's a long line by which the Jews were ruled, going back even to the Babylonian exile, Really, from that time, there's almost no time that the Jews weren't ruled over by some kind of opposing country, by some kind of opposing um, regime or, or kingdom, if you will. And it transferred hands. It was the Babylonians. I think at one point it was the Persians and then the Seleucids at one point. And then there might have been a little bit of a reprieve in there. But then again, the Jewish people find themselves under the dominion under the domain of the Romans and here they are flexing their muscles and they have the ability to say you know what we want to count count you we want to tax you we want your money so that we can basically further our empire that we can further our fame we can further our power we can further our dominance we can build our military and we can rule over you all the more so think about that, being in Mary and Joseph's situation, all right? Think about that. You're peasants. You don't have a lot of money in the bank account. And there it is. You're pregnant, whatever, how many months Mary is pregnant. And you hear this decree, you know? You have to go to Bethlehem. Oh, by the way, Mary, we have to pack up our bags 
and we have to go to Bethlehem. It's a 90-mile trek. Now, how many of you, being whatever, seven, eight months pregnant, uh, would want to go to Bentleyville to see the lights? And by the way, you have to walk there on foot because that's about 90 miles, a little bit past 90 miles. In fact, I did some map questing. The other night I talked about distances, and I didn't do map questing. This time I did some map questing. Uh, the closest town that I could figure from here to 90 miles was Brainerd, I came up with, 83 miles. How would you guys like to walk to Brainerd? And you'd have the assistance of a donkey or some kind of mild animal like that, um, a modest animal. And you'd be trekking across whatever, desert lands and such, battling beasts, battling all kinds of things. You didn't have modern refrigerator, no hydro flasks, nothing like that. You just had to get there 90 miles. That's quite a trek. How would you feel if all of a sudden these bullies that were ruling over you decided, you know what, we want your money, so get on your horseback, get on your donkey, and come over to Bethlehem. I don't care that you're eight months pregnant. I could, give, I could, I could care less about that. Just get over to Bethlehem so we can count you, so we can understand how vast our kingdom is, so we can take your money and build an army so we can rule over you even better. And that's the situation that Mary and Joseph face. That's quite a situation, isn't it? But through that whole thing, really, if you look at it, God is sovereignly accomplishing his purposes. And he was doing things that were so much greater and so much bigger and so much beyond what they could ever imagine. Here's Mary and Joseph simply submitting to the laws of their land. They didn't really have much of a choice in the matter, I would imagine. Okay, this is the decree. We have to follow it. Let's go. Let's get there. They show up. There's no place for them. What a picture of the power and the clout of the world. And what a picture of the lowliness of the kingdom of God that seems so insignificant. And of the different ways that we can take from this and apply this to our world today, the systems of the world seem really powerful, doesn't it? The systems of the world seem really influential and powerful. And the kingdom of God, by comparison, seems so small. It seems so insignificant. It seems like, gee, we're never going to win. And this really, in some ways, confronts our desire for power, doesn't it? We get so excited as Christians when we have a Christian celebrity on our side. Oh, maybe, maybe so-and-so can do something for us. And the reality is God does use those people with lots of clout. He uses higher-up people in different positions to accomplish his purposes. But by and large, God delights in accomplishing his purposes by the lowly, by the, th the shamed of this world, doesn't he? He loves to use the small and the insignificant to put to shame the powerful. In fact, you know what? Let's go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians. Let's go ahead and look at the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, I'm going to click over here in my Bible, and hopefully I can stumble and fumble around until we hit 1 Corinthians. I know it's in the New Testament. Uh, let's see here. I learned that. Uh, okay. 1 Corinthians 1. <coughs> it says, uh, maybe we can start in verse 25. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that were not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So may that be our boast, brothers and sisters, 
that if we boast, that we boast in the world, or not the world, not that, scratch that, boast in the Lord. And um, the temptation is to boast in our flesh. It is to boast in worldly systems that we might be a part of. In fact, we would love to read the story about how Jesus came from royalty. We would love to read the story about how Jesus was, there was a room reserved for him at the palace, wherever that is. And from there, he was, he was born. He had the finest accommodations. And they rolled the red carpet out for him, and he took, he took over the empire from there. That's not what we read at all. We see God delighting to use the weak things to shame the wise and to shame the strong. And that's what we see, I think, in the birth of Christ. Here's this weak thing, this small, insignificant king that is going to come and oust this mighty king, Caesar Augustus. Um, So there we, I think think that's really the point that I'm angling at here. And I don't know if I really have a whole lot more to say about it than that. Other than God is sovereignly working out his plan, even when we don't even see all of it. He uses really crazy situations like this to accomplish his purposes. And even while Caesar Augustus is thinking that he's ruling, thinking that he's reigning, God is actually using his decisions and his decrees, and can we say his arrogance, to accomplish the purpose of God, is he not? Here we have this king flexing his muscle, thinking, oh, how can I make my name great in all of the world? In fact, one thing that I read, I hesitate to bring this up, but it was actually, his name was actually Octavius. And he used the word Caesar Augustus, I think, in some ways to associate with divinity. And there's these Roman kings that we hear of that actually wanted to deify themselves, which means to make themselves on par with God. And what we see here is the desire for Caesar Augustus, I think, to rule over the world, to be famous in such a way that really takes the place of the living God. And God has his way of saying, I will not share my glory with another. I will not. And I will thwart the plans of the wise, and I will thwart the plans of the strong. The Bible, one of the major themes throughout Scripture, is God thwarting fleshly desires that props itself up against the living God. The one that declares its autonomy away from God, God will bring that to no. And you would never believe it if you were a part of this culture, a part of this world at this time. So God is accomplishing his purposes. And in the very arrogant decrees of Caesar Augustus, here we see the, the inroads, the beginning of the end for Rome, if you think about it. And maybe I can make two, two um, points, two applications for us, for you. One of them is this. I want you guys to leave here encouraged and more deeply convicted and convinced that that God's ways, as mysterious as they are, will always come to fruition and they will always be best. And God accomplishes his purposes in oftentimes very mysterious ways, very confusing ways, very... Um, um, I guess I already used the word mysterious, and I can't think of another adjective, but I think you guys get the point. God accomplishes his purposes in such ways that are so unorthodox oftentimes. We can't see it in the moment. We would never be able to understand the full extent to what he's actually accomplishing when none of it makes sense to us. And in this situation, if you're Mary and Joseph, or if you didn't really know uh, the claims all that well, I think that you would look at this situation and say, this is hopeless. This is, this is going nowhere. It's hard to think that the Roman Empire would ever be less powerful than it actually is. Okay, 
that's one thing, one application that I could maybe press into us. The second one is this. Um, over the last couple of whatever week, eight days, nine days or such, a number of people pointed this out to me. And um, they said this. And, uh, you know, you know, this is obviously a, this is a hard worship service for us to be a part of because we want to be here with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're recognizing the real possibility that this could be the very last worship service of Glory of Christ Fellowship. And that's, that's just hard. That's just difficult, and that is sad. And I want to argue that there is hope in God and hope in what he has next for us collectively and for you individually. But there's also, you know, the reality of dealing with a death as well. And it's sad. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. There's a sadness. But one of the things I heard is that all institutions have one thing in common, and it's this. They all have a birth date, and they all have a, de a, a death date, essentially. They all come to an end. Every single institution in human history starts and ends. And that's just a commonality of every single institution. And I don't want to take a defeatist mentality over that. But that is a reality. And we can rest in the fact that God, in his sovereign purposes, accomplishes everything that he intends and everything that he wills and everything that he decrees. You see, Caesar Augustus has his decree and he's trying to accomplish his things God uses the Roman Empire, as powerful as it is, as a pawn in his hands to accomplish his decrees. God has his decrees, too, and he uses all institutions. And if we can call the Roman Empire an institution, we realize as mighty as it was, it actually did expire as well. It had its beginning, it had its end, it had its rise, it, had, it has its fall. It had its fall. And everything that God uses and everything that God brings into existence, I would say, accomplishes everything that he intends for his good purposes. And we don't fully understand all of that, which it is, but we can rest in knowing that it is true. We can rest in knowing that whether it has a long lifespan or a short one, God uses his institutions for his purpose. So may we take hope, may we take comfort in that. Let me, and, and I suppose one last thing I could point out about that is that what life is really about is not just God accomplishing his purposes necessarily, but the purpose to make a people for the living God to worship Christ, when we think about, you know, verse 7, here is Jesus. He, there's no place for him in the inn. And who would think that not only would he become the ruling king over heaven and earth from eternity past to eternity future, but he would also become the center of all reality. He would be the purpose for which all mankind finds its rationale for existing. And that is to know him, to worship him, to bow down at his feet. So in a sense, institutions isn't what we exist for. It's for Christ. It's to know Jesus, to worship him. And that is the one entity that will last into eternity, the church universal. Jesus being worshiped around the throne. When we look at Revelation, behold, I see out of heaven coming this new Jerusalem, this new city, and they are worshiping Jesus. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them as their God. And we will dwell with him as his people. And God and man are one. That's the reality for which we exist for. That's the reality for which all mankind exists for, is to know Christ and to be part of the people of God. 
And that will never come to an end. That does have a start date, but that has no end date. It never does. That does not have a shelf life that will never expire. So may we take heart in that. May we take heart in that. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for gathering tonight. Thank you for walking through this process together. Um, I know it's been very difficult. I see the look on many of your faces. And we just pray that God will grant us understanding and that we will have a measure of insight into what the Lord is actually doing and that we can take delight in it with confidence. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, I thank you for each and every person of GCF, each and every person that's sitting here tonight. Lord, we love each other, and we praise you that we do, that we have love for one another. And that is such a, a foretaste, Lord God, of what will never come to an end. The love that we have for each other that is unified to us in Christ, that will never come to an end. And we praise you for that. And we do acknowledge the pain and the sadness and the heartache of seasons that come and seasons that go, institutions that begin and institutions that end. Lord God, I pray you would comfort us in knowing that we have your love and that the love that we have with one another here tonight is a reflection of what was birthed to us, not only in the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, but also birthed to us on the cross of Jesus Christ that was bought with the precious blood. Lord God, and your blood has bought a gift for us in fellowship with one another that won't ever come to an end. It will only sweeten with time. So please comfort us with that. Please give us your grace through just a difficult season. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go with him. You're dismissed.